Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Turning a Moment into a Movement. And I am Jay Love, and I represent the Justice for Gerard movement. Um, Gerard is my son who was wrongfully convicted of a crime and innocent and went to prison for that crime and um, served two years in the Michigan Department of, of Corrections. And because of that journey with him, I met other mothers and family members who also had loved ones wrongfully incarcerated. And so from that journey became this journey, turning a moment into a movement. And we come here every Friday to talk about wrongful convictions and justice. Our goal is to inspire. Um, our goal is to also educate. And um, we're not trying to push anything on anyone. At the end of the day, we're just trying to get everyone to think and to be inspired and motivated to, you know, do better because everything that's going on, if it's happening to one person, it's happening to all of us. So thank you for joining us and welcome. So today we have a great show lined up for you, a great community conversation. And before we get into it, I want to in introduce you guys to the panel. So I'm going to bring on Revitia, hi. Well, hello. Good evening, everybody. I'm so excited to be here today. J-Love, you are just incredible. I'm so glad for turning a moment into a movement because it's time for us to move something. And the most important thing we need to move is our way of thinking because yeah. if we can change how we think, we can change how we act. We can change exactly. how we treat one another. And uh, so I'm Reverend Tia Littlejohn, and I am so pleased to be here today. I, On a daily basis, I'm helping children in their behaviors. I help, I'm a behavior interventionist. And uh, when it comes to that, I, I think that a lot of us need some behavior intervention, especially for our civic leaders. We need to uh, help. People know how to serve, know when you're called to serve. And when you're not called to serve, we need to remove you. Your time is up. So a lot of times for this platform, you will hear that it's time for us to fire some of these people who no longer benefit the community. So Jay, I'm so excited because I'm on the forefront on many different areas and um, leading with uh, helping people in Flint with the water condition alongside Bishop Bernadette Jefferson. And most of the time here in Michigan, doing what I can uh, in supporting, you know, people always don't know how to support. Pick something. Today, pick something. Yeah. Mm hmm Right, Ramatia. Thank you, and, and thank, thank you for you. being here. Yes. So I'm going to break on Alexandria. Hi. Hello. <laughs> How are you guys doing? How are you? Doing good. Um, that's great. Introduce yourself. Yes. Um, my name is Alexandria. I am a mental health and criminal justice activist, organizer, also work in the mental health industry. I'm also part of uh, Representative Kyra Bowden's Advisory Council. 
Um, and just here, glad to be here with you guys today. Uh, it's been a rather busy day for me, uh, but a good day. Well, we're glad that you was able to make it. Thank you. <laughs> so glad to see you. So next, we're going to bring on Attorney Hugo Matt. Hi, Attorney Hugo Matt. Well, hello. How's everybody? Ladies, how's everybody doing? Good, good. Well, my name is Hugo Mack. The people on the panel know me, but for those of you who don't, um, I'm a person who, unlike some of my colleagues, doesn't present themselves that parachuted from heaven to grace you with their presence in the courtroom. To the contrary, I'm an attorney who came up from hell through the power of God and Jesus Christ to be with you today. Um, I often tell people I'm probably the only attorney in the state of Michigan with two bar numbers, one horizontal, the other vertical. I understand what it means to be wrongfully incarcerated within the Michigan Department of Corrections, to come out, to have to rebuild, and to have to understand what it's like to struggle, to bear the stigma of uh, being incarcerated, a person with a criminal justice experience. But I also understand that we have to be the change we want to see in others. So for me, my experience is I left many men behind in the penitentiary. Men that were as innocent as I was, victims who are still there to this day. Some died. So for the rest of the time the good Lord has me on this level, my effort is going to be in exposing systemic racism, exposing discrimination, exposing the wrong that has happened in this system that continues to plague black, brown, and disadvantaged peoples. So uh, we're hearing this together. I'm proud to be a member of the group and with you. So I'm ready and eager to go and hear what my sister Trisha has got to say for us and uh, Reverend T and Alexandria, you know, all these beautiful black women. Oh my gosh, you know, it's raining women around here. So it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. So we love you and I'm glad to be here, Jay Love. Thank you. Good evening. I hope you can hear me. Um, my name is Darnell Ishmael, Notes from the Village. I am honored uh, always to be invited to be a panelist here and to be among this cohort of warriors and activists. I uh, am very grateful to you, Jay, for the invitation and that you have this platform available still and, and making uh, good trouble. Uh, we need more good trouble. I appreciate what my brother, Attorney Hugo Mack, said earlier, um, and I'm going to have to uh, I'm going to have to send you one of my cases, sir. I've, I've I've gotten so many calls in the last couple of weeks, and I'm trying to do what I can to juggle it. And it's amazing to me how someone who's 17, 18, 19 can find themselves within the jaws of the Department of Corrections. And it takes them 10, 15 years to be able to have a voice on the outside and to finally be able to make some traction um, for their case to be heard 
and then you start looking at it. I mean, I'm just a lay person, but I start looking at it and, and it doesn't make sense to me. Things on, on the paper and the black and white. And, and then we see even connected to these cases where lawyers have been disbarred for the uh, failure to produce good counsel. Investigators who were on these people's cases have actually been prosecuted and sent to jail because of the history of abuses and atrocities that they were doing to get those convictions. And then we even see evidence of so-called jailhouse informants all on the same cases. And I don't know about anybody else in here. I'm not that smart. You know, if I, when I was 17, 18, 19, I don't know what I could have done if I had been taken down to, uh, to, the, to the precinct or harangued through some type of a court proceeding. I don't know what I would, I'm, I'm, I'm at this age of stage now and I still wouldn't know exactly who to call or what to do. So I'm very grateful for this uh, platform that you're providing, Jay, to help give voice, to, as Brother Hugo Max said, to the literally thousands of persons who are still incarcerated, still imprisoned in this system of American slavery that continues. Thank you for allowing me to be here. I think you're muted, Jay. Yes, I, I was muted. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being here. You're right um, so much that, that you just unpacked in, in what you just said. Um, but we're going to get into all, we're going to get into that um, with our guest. When she's not a guest, she's our sister, Trisha Duckworth. <laughs> Hi, Trisha. Hey, everybody. How are you? I'm trying to figure out how I became the expert. I'm, I'm talking about my brother, Darnell Ishmael. We, <laughs> we need to track him the expert, right? Um, man, salute to you, brother. Salute to you all. Um, today, you know, it's, it's a heavy one, you know, because there's so much to unpack. There's so much injustice. It's continued without change, right? Well, I can slight things here and there, right? That are happening. But when it comes to racial injustice, social injustice, it'll never be enough. I don't know if anybody else feels like that, but people are like, but we're doing so, we're doing such a good job. And it's like, says who? <laughs> you don't get to say if you're doing a good job or not. That's on us, you know? But Grateful to be here tonight. Jay, thank you so much for providing this platform. It is so very important. Um, the, the, the conversations that take place here each and every Friday. So if this is your first time tuning in, don't let it be your last. Don't let it be your last. All right. Are we ready to jump on in? Because I was ready. We're ready. Right. <laughs> We're ready. We ready. If you, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. Ain't that what I it know, is? that's right. <laughs> so talking about reform and transform, reform and transform. So I thought the best thing to do would be, let's see what they both mean, right? And we can start there to see exactly what both of those mean, right? So when you think about reform, reform is to make changes in 
something, typically a social, political, or economic institution or practice in order to improve it. That's reform. Then let's look at transform. Transform, to make a thorough or dramatic change in the form, appearance, or character of. When I think about how that relates to what we're talking about tonight, we're talking about the criminal justice system, specifically policing. Can it be reformed? Should it be transformed? Or is it both? So I would like to hear from you all what you think on that. I'll popcorn it over to my big brother, Darnell. I was going to ask if I could get some softballs tonight, <laughs> not the hardballs. I really, um, <clears throat> there, there is a need for change and change, I believe, has to happen on a variety of levels. And we should always reach for the superlative, where they say, uh, shoot for the for the moon, you'll land among the stars, or something like that. Um, so what we I think we before we go to reform, we have to say, what really is the end goal? If we're just gonna stay within the realm of reform. What is the end goal? So we make sure that we have some way to measure how we get there. Um, when we talk about transform, I'm all for it. Like I said, I think the change that needs to happen needs to be interdimensionally. It needs to happen at a variety of levels and all kinds of scale. What is the superlative for transformation? What does it look like? And then how do we reach for the beyond? And you know, I'm I'm an advocate for abolition. So how do we get to that point where we have that as part of the realm where we are reaching for? Um, and I think that we have to make sure that we measure ourselves not by ourselves, by our own standard. I think that we need to make sure that we measure reform and transformation and hopefully eventually evolve to abolition by what other systems of government, other systems of, uh, uh, I don't want to use the word punishment, other systems of, of justice, if you will, are doing around the world. See what our human neighbors are doing around the world and the rest of this planet. And then don't just uh, Department of Justice people don't just take the trip over there and see it, but and you know bring it back, bring back what works in the area of reform, transformation, and hopefully abolition. Um, there was, <laughs> I, I don't want to go down this lane, but there was a time where someone uh, could have a visitor overnight or a weekend visitor when they were incarcerated. There was a time in America when that was the case. And it's it's very different today. And that same, that same principle exists in other places. You know, there was a time where you could earn some time off of your sentence. And those kinds of systems do exist in other places. You know, what what is the real superlative for reform 
and transformation and abolition? And then how do we start to make incremental steps towards measuring that? That's good, that's good. Uh, Reverend Tia. Yeah, you know, I just wanna jump in real quick because uh, when you think about uh, <laughs> think about reform, you're making some changes, you're making improvement. And in my mind, I'm thinking I'm making improvement to an infrastructure that is already in existence. I'm not really breaking up the foundation of it. When you look up, when you think about transforming, that that's taking it a, a little bit deeper because you want the outcome to look totally different than what it used to look like. But when you talk about abolition or abolishing something, that means to scrap it, end it, or stop it. And I don't see much of anything that I would like to keep in this existing structure. Somebody help me with this. What are your thoughts? Ooh, that's y'all starting with the fire. Allie, <laughs> reform, transform, or both, or none. What do you say? Uh, we're not gonna say none. Huh? <laughs> I'm gonna say that first. <laughs> uh, so, um, for me, you know, um, reform, when I think of reform, I think of chipping away at something you know, trying to make it better bit by bit. I feel like we're at a point in this country and we're gonna to continue to go there um, where we can't just chip away bit by bit. We need overarching change. We need transformation. We need something that will truly change the quality of lives. And it can't be one bill, one ordinance that someone can undo after your term. Um, because you know that's that's how we keep repeating the same thing. Um, we also just can't stick to reform, um, reform. Uh, there's uh, language, their language of reform, right? For me, that's training. When someone says we're just going to give someone training, use the address the issue with training. That is a repetitive issue that keeps happening. That says that they're about reform. And we think training for whether it's prosecutorial, whether it's at your job, whether it's police, whether it's a government official or council, um, when it's something that keeps repeatedly happening, we can't just keep, you know, putting a bandaid of training on it because the wound is never healed. Like it hasn't been healed. These are open wounds. And with training, it's just a bandaid, a temporary bandaid and the issue is still there, and you're you're just trying to quiet people. Um, so I'm about transformation. I'm about overarching, not something that's going to create an arch, but something that's going to push us over the hump that we're on. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I'm interested to hear what Attorney Hugo Mack has to say. Um, you have definitely... Um, a, a deep perspective on this. So what, what, what say ye, sir? Well, you know, I think that we definitely need transformation, but 
it's been my life experience that that is not going to come in a revolution. It, it, it isn't because the truth about black people in this country is that in our quest to be equal, we relish in the 13th, 14th, and 15th amendments, okay? We relish in voting rights bills and, you know, housing rights and uh, accommodation bills. But the problem is, in our quest to become Americans and accepted, we've also accepted what this country stands for. Yes, we have. Yes, we have. Because when we have a city like Detroit, the largest minority majority city in the nation, and we only have like 17% of the people voting. I think we do a disservice to Dr. King, to Rosa Parks, to Fannie Lou Hamer, people who had some real obstacles, police dogs, you know, uh, guns, horses, all right, stopping them from voting and taking charge. We don't have that. We, we don't have that. And I think that it, it's going to have to keep an effort just like this, people talking in small groups and hopefully influencing somebody because we don't need a million people to make a revolution, okay? Jesus Christ didn't have a million people, all right? You know, he reformed and transformed the world. And so in, in a Christ spirit, you know, I just look at my mission as to keep my fire burning and try to get it bigger. Of course, I want my fire to be put in with everybody else's and have and and have a revolution. But, you know, part of the biggest problem we have is us. It it, it really is us because I'm, I'm not discouraged, but so many more things that we could do as a people if we stop degrading each other, putting each other down. Uh, you know, it's OK if 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 I'm poor and somebody else with a lighter skin color is rich, as long as you're ultra poor. See what I'm saying? You know, and so I just think part of it is, and I, I guess I preach on this regularly, to get us to start loving ourselves, to start loving who and what we are, and stop trying to imitate other people. God didn't make you to look in a mirror and see cream. He made you look in a mirror and see butterscotch. Stop apologizing. Stop apologizing. Okay, so 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 sister, I think both of them have to happen, but one is not gonna happen without the other. I really don't see it. Mm, that's a good point. That's a good point. Let's go to our leader. <laughs> Jay, what you say? <clears throat> when I think about um reforms and transform, first reform, I think about um how reform there is someone else um, making a decision for it to give, you know, someone a little leeway to make um, <clears throat> others feel comfortable. When I look at transform, I'm looking at the community or um, making demands for change, looking beyond um, what we consider as normal and seeing a different way. So when we're talking about reforms, when we're talking about, let's say, for example, the death penalty, 
of reformative measure was, you know, stop using the noose, hanging people. We're going to move to the electric chair and then we're going to move to, you know, um, um, injections. And so nothing about that reform made the people who were going to be um, executed feel any better. It just made the person who was doing the execution feel it better. Transforming would be um, figuring out how we can use a different way or just getting rid of it at period. We are um, a country that use violence against violence to stop violence. That, that energy doesn't work. You have a violence and then violence and it's supposed to stop violence, we have to figure out another way because our system uses punishment and not judgment. So that's how I feel about it. I think um, transforming is what we should be, um, we should be moving towards um, because we've been reforming. If we look at, you know, through all the years since the civil rights movement, there's been reforms done you know, small ones or big ones, but there's been reforms and still nothing has changed. And transforming will just totally dismantle what we see now and work, uh, uh, make it different, make it better for everyone. So that's how I feel about it. Wow. Um, you all gave exactly, you know, some of the things that I was thinking. So I won't expound too long on it. But when I think about, you know how they say when there's police, right? Oh, you just got a couple bad apples. Just a bad apple here and a bad apple there and a bad apple. Okay. Well, when we were out protesting in 2020, uh, shout out to Mr. Lee Toos, and he gave us a story. He said, you know, my grandfather had an apple tree on his farm. He said, and I told my granddaddy, granddaddy, look at that apple, it's rotten. And he says, granddaddy told him, look, son, if the apple is rotten, that means the tree is rotten too, right? <laughs> so that means that that tree is rotten to the core and it is producing rotten fruit. If we think about it spiritually, it says, hey, you know a tree, by their fruit. So when I think about reform, I just think, how do we reform something that has been so detrimental, so bruising and, and hurting uh, to our people? How do, how do we reform that? And then as a part two to all this, and I wanna see you, everybody doesn't have to answer this, maybe a couple folks can answer it, but when it comes to reform and transform, you got sides. People want you to pick a side, right? And I tell you, I'll give you an example. I talked to someone who is, um, I believe they they do abolitionist work. However, they are also, you know, doing small reforms here and there as a as as leading up to that, I'm sure. And you have some radical folks that said, no, we don't want to do that. We want to do this. And then they said, well, no, we don't want to do that because you're gonna mess up what we're doing. You know, what about that divide between the community where some folks think that, well, I think the reforms are the way. And if you do something other than reform, then you're messing us up. 
Or what about folks that say transform is the only way? How do we stop that fight? Because for me, it's not one or the other. There's no one way to battle this demon <laughs> of, of racism and white supremacy, which overtakes our criminal justice system. So if somebody could just jump in right there and just tell me what you, you have to say about that. Well, go ahead, Allie. <laughs> we, were, we was ready. We were ready. I was going to say it's silly to ask someone to pick one or the other because um, regardless of our position, we're trying to undo the harms that, you know, our point is undoing the harms that exist today, dealing with those harms and then trying to create something better. That's what both sides are doing at the end of the day. One is just doing it a different way. And um, in order to come to a solution, we need to all come together. Both sides should believe it's about the people. If you don't even believe that, you're not even in the reform category. So if you believe it's about the people, then you should be able to come together with the other side. I don't care if they talk and defund. I don't care if it's abolished. I don't care if it's reform. I don't care if you are sort in the middle, don't know. You know, it doesn't matter. We all need to come together on this is how I see it. I can go on and on, but I'll leave it there. <laughs> Some snap. Come on yeah. around here. Yeah, you know, I agree. I agree 100%. And, and the thing about it is that what we have to know is that regardless of the protocols that we put in place, if the mind has not changed, the system won't change. If the mind does not change, the system doesn't change. And I know Ali had mentioned training before. You cannot untrain a prejudiced mind in one training okay it's not gonna happen because we're talking about 400 years and just like they say we have transgenerational curses or transgenerational effects and trauma then if this is the case then there also is transgenerational discrimination and prejudice mindset that is trained every generation for some people. And so we can no longer act like that big elephant is not in the room. And the big elephant is making decisions that is not for the whole community. And it is surprising to me how many people want to have faith in a system that has not served the people. You know, last comment, I, I saw that um, it was uh, something that happened in Ann Arbor where like the racial housing covenants um, they did something, but my point is being that, you know, you know, there's mindset, there's that social structure, there's those policies that are racist. And that's what that is. We, we have to extract those policies that are just completely racist. So regardless of whatever, whoever's in there, the policy's sitting there and it's racist. So, you know, you'll forever be incarcerated for who you are, for things you can't help. 
and and that's simply not fair. And reform, abolish, or defund. If you can't get on board with that, then you don't need to be on board at all. That's right. That's right. You know, I'll speak to that because, as a matter of fact, I had an extensive conversation about this very thing. Um, this 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 gentleman was tagging me to this post, and he just kept saying, "Yeah, you're putting all these murals down, you know, but what about this? And uh, what about the they, the fact that they they took this off the books in Ann Arbor? What is that doing for our people? And this, that, and the third. I said, "Well, let me explain to you what, what my perspective is. That something that could appear performative? Yes, but I told him I said." In order to get where we're going, we have got to be clear about where we've been. There has to be an acknowledgement, right? Us being clear, now we're acknowledging this so that we can bring in the proper repair. So that's a huge example of both. There came that performative thing and then it can follow up because guess what? We're going back to city council and going to ask them, there are 250 veterans that in their families that were affected by this covenant. So now we can go back and say, hey, as a part two, how about let's bring some repair to the families? How about let's get those 250 families and give them free taxes, free uh, uh, um, housing, you know, give them, write them a home and write the deed over to them. And Arbor is one of, I believe it's number eight as far as the elitist cities in uh, in the United States. They have the money. So we're going to sit around and argue because they want to take something off the books. No, they acknowledged it. And now let's follow up and ask for the repair. So now let, let's switch gears here a little bit. Let's switch gears here a little bit. When it comes to whether it's reform, transform, or whatever, how is that possible when we have lawless policing agencies, right? I mean that literally they're doing what they want to do over and over and over and over again. I seen um, a video this morning, and what made me think about it, um, I seen a video this morning where Mayor Locke's mother basically busted this you know press conference and just took the press conference over and basically just told them like hey 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 this is not what i signed up for and if you want to take me off of this board and for those that don't know amir lot was sleeping in his home they came into his home with a no-knock warrant as a matter of fact, they got keys. We need to talk about that too, because who gave them the keys to that apartment, okay? Because they need to be held liable too. They unlocked the door with the keys, went in, don't move, don't move, don't move. He had a gun. He was a registered gun owner. Jay, do you have that up so we can show it for those that may not um, have, have seen it or know um, what we're speaking about? No, I couldn't get it up in time. Okay, okay. Well, <clears throat> came in this man's home, basically said, don't move, don't move, don't move. And he's under a cover. He don't know what's going on, right? Sleep, murder, murder. Same thing happened to Breonna Taylor. And look what just happened to Breonna Taylor's murderer yesterday. 
no accountability. So can we have true reform without accountability? And when it comes to accountability, who are the ones that are going to hold this lawless bunch accountable? Now, I say is us, but what do you all say? I want to jump in right there. Um, I agree with what you're saying. I want to go back to Brother Hugo Max said it has something to do with our mentality. We cannot look for the oppressor. We cannot collude with the oppressor to be the person or the institution most responsible for us. We have to be responsible for our own melanated selves. Um, and when we start to hold ourselves as being most responsible, the ones most able to respond, then we hold those other folks, we, we hold those systems accountable. Um, I, and we've not done that to our peril. I don't know how much, how do I say this? Yes, there are young people and, and of this generation who have been slaughtered and martyred, but I don't know how much we have volunteered our own blood mm -hmm. on the front lines as some of our forefathers have done in this country and in this land. We have, Brother Mac, we have become comfortable. We have become soft, complacent, pliable, viable. We've been bought in many ways. Um, and until we do something to change our mindset, we will not change our course. You said pliable, viable. So that mean I can just get a check and I, hey, y'all do whatever y'all do because I got mine. And we see that over and over again. I say this and I, I understand it is very hard to stay at this. It is mentally taxing. It is it's not an easy job. And I think Reverend Tia said earlier, when you know your place, you know your calling. You got to be called to this. But see, I don't think we understand. We all got a debt to pay. And if we don't pay that debt, how can we hope? As survivors speak, we got this thing called project accountability. And we did it double fold where we had a pledge for our legislators, but then we had a pledge for us and people could understand that. Yeah. Because how are we going to point the finger at somebody when we are not even at the table? Or if we are at the table, because we have been bought, we do nothing. And this has been to our detriment over and over again. And it, I, I say it divides us because you got the voice of the disenfranchised, right? And then you got the voice of the privileged black man that may not see things the way we do, or they see them the way we do, and they know what we say is true, but because they have been able to capitalize off racism for themselves and build individual power, they don't want anything to come between that. So what do you do when we're <laughs> when we're the corporal? Oh, because of what we allow. Come on. 
Don't all just sit there. I know you got something to say about that. I got, I got something to say. I, I don't know if this is going to be answering that specifically, but it's about accountability. Um, I'll say, so how I see it is if we don't address these problems that keep happening, the murders that keep happening, you know, our system we do have that's considered public safety <laughs> will just undo itself is how I see it. It will undo itself and it will undo itself in the worst way because, and I say that because we're seeing that in other areas of the country. I mean, look at Aurora, Colorado, where Elijah McClain was killed. Um, and look at how the police chief and the lieutenant, one um, resigned, another one got fired because some videos got leaked, some emails got leaked. Then a ton of the department um, was uh, let go, resigned, and what they deem as crime has been increasing. Um, I think I read somewhere that 40% of their department resigned. This is, remember, after Elijah McClain, um, young black man um, who was injected with ketamine by the fire department and then killed by police officers. He was walking down the street. He wasn't doing anything. But, um, you know, this is all after that. And this has been the last two years they've been unraveling. They have an oversight commission now. They have one that is actually addressing the fire department too, which is something I haven't seen um, around. Um, you can look at Compton, California. You had, this was early on in 2020, the mayor called for the whole police department to be abolished. She was pulled over with her, her um, husband and baby in the car and was being questioned, didn't do anything. And, you know, she called for the whole department to go, the mayor. Um, so, I mean, these are just a couple of cases of what we're seeing around the country, but it actually would be to their benefit for them to address accountability with the community that they serve because they're supposed to be for community. Supposed to be for community. I look at Biden just released all that money talking about, we're not gonna defund the police. We're gonna give them more money so that they can get into the community. Uh, Attorney Hugo Mack, you have something to say about that accountability piece? Well, I, I guess what, what I wanted to speak on is that they know that a policy will outlive any human being because the reality of it is, and, and let's just talk about us right here now. Now, I'm, I'm 67 and proud of it. I don't know how old the rest of you are, but I don't see many teenagers or 20-year-olds on this panel. And what I'm saying is they know that the policy will outlive every, every one of us. And that's what the problem that we have is. We have not developed to the point where we've got people that will step up, that keep that pressure on. You know, so yeah, we can get rid of some police and put some people in, in jail and, and all that. But you have to understand, there's over 750,000 police in this country. 750,000 police, over 18,000 police agencies. Now, all of us here can count on, what, maybe four hands, the police that we know that have gone to prison and jail, you know, 
you know, we know about shooting black people in the back. We know about putting your knee on somebody's neck and that. But I never was good at math, but I can't even think what small percentage that is of the total police force that's out there. And so part of the problem is that, that, that I guess I would have to say I preach on all, all the time. It is one thing to say that we've got a system that's quote unquote progressive, but no system is that good where you have one millionth of 1%, all right? Those are the bad ones, like Shea was saying, everybody else is all right. Because the bottom line is, the bottom line is, whatever police agency you're in, the policy is there of us versus them. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And the, the, the reality of it is, when, uh, like, Alexandra was talking about the mayor in her, in her car with her, with her family there, when that police officer that stopped her would say, officer down, officer in trouble, officer needs backup, it doesn't matter that she's the mayor. It doesn't matter who she is. All that matters is you'll have 10, 15, 20 police cars and officers there ready to shoot, period, period, okay? So that's a policy that they have, all right? So I guess my thing is when I, when I look at it, when I look at it, is that unfortunately it's going to take more people's lives being being sacrificed because it seems to me that that's how unfortunately the most publicity is generated i mean i hate to say it i hate to say it but and it's going to take people like you my brothers and sisters on the panel to be that irritant you know and, and i give people the example all the time you know people talk about how valuable a pearl is you know a pearl all right and you all know that a pearl comes from sand being an irritant inside a clam, all right? You know, and that pearl is the result of that irritation inside that clam. So I guess for me, when I look at all of you, my heart is full because you're all irritants. <laughs> all of you, all of you are irritants, <laughs> you know, and I'm proud to consider myself one of you. You know, and, 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 and believe me, believe me, just like they say when a farmer plants a kernel of corn in the ground, he or she don't go out and look at it every day, but he knows that the earth, the earth will yield. If you water it, put it in proper soil, it will yield. So everything that you're doing right now has got to yield. And they don't want us to see it. Trisha, they don't want you to see what you're doing. Alexander, they don't want you to see. Ishmael, Tia, you know, they don't want us to see it. But as long as we there, we win. So I'm just encouraged because, you know, we ain't going off the battlefield till the game is over. So there we are. You better say that, Jay. Yes. So I got to go back to what uh, Mr. Ishmael was saying earlier. Transformation starts with us. And so when we're looking at all these things, I was just on sound show this morning with the mother of Zion, whose daughter had been missing since January, who immediately when the mother reported um, the, her daughter missing, they started telling her about uh, runaways. When the mother already knew where her daughter was, who her daughter was with. And so <clears throat> eventually this young man who she was with, her cousin, um, was arrested or detained a question about it. They still haven't found Zion. And the police officers 
made a comment like, you know, when, you know, he put her in a dumpster and, you know, she's probably crushed to death or, you know, she won't look the same, like all these deterrents. So the mother won't, you know, um, be aggressive about having them find her daughter. And so when, why are we not mad about that? When we hear these stories, she's not, you know, Zion is one story, but we're, we're talking about black women all across the United States that's missing. We're talking about tons of people who are wrongfully convicted. We're talking about 50% of those who are exonerated are black people. We're talking, and, and, and we're not saying it doesn't happen to everyone because we know that there are tons of, of Americans all over the United States, white, Latino, all different races that are possibly wrongfully convicted. But we're just saying that this um, mindset um, that's systemic and that is oppressive is going on and we are the ones who have to stop it. We are the ones who have to get uh, mad enough. We are the ones who have to feel worthy enough that that we don't have to be treated this way. That this is this cannot be the norm for us. And until we get into that space and that mindset, we're gonna be okay with a Brady list, even though you have you know um, hundred police officers that lie so much that you know they can't testify in court. We're going to be okay with their names on the list instead of being okay with their being fired. Because how are you police if you can't testify in court? So it will take us educating ourselves, um, being more involved. You know, the school, the prison pipeline is real. It is a thing. You know, um, with if your kid at third grade is not testing at a certain standard, they're building a space for him. And so when uh, Mr. Ishmael was saying these 17, 16, 17, 8-year-old, 18-year-old teenagers find themselves in these positions, let's look at where they came from. Where they Did they get the proper education? Could they read? <laughs> you know, were they getting expelled a lot? Were they in an area that had lead water? Like all of these things, lead water, toxic air, all of these things are all problems that we as Black Americans need to get mad about. Our communities have refineries in it. Our communities have bad pipes and, you know, that result in lead water. Our communities. And so until we get mad about it, nobody else is going to get mad about it. So we have to transform we have to take on these positions. And like, you know, we have to focus on who's representing us. Who, we just can't keep voting for the same people over and over again. I don't really, you know, since this last election, I'm all good on these Democrats and Republican type situations because <laughs> it's not working for us. We keep going through the same thing and it's not working for us. So we need to look for people who are aligned with how we feel and what we want. And I don't care where they come from. You know, they are aligned with what we want. Those are the people we should be looking at and stop being so focused on a party. 
because of us so focused on a party, we're still getting the same thing. We're getting a president that came on and said, hey, we're going to put money into the police. You know, and we're like, what? You know, we did we just not see Amir, <laughs> uh, Dante Wright, Kim Potter? You know, these stories and more every month, there's another story. You can't even get past the last one. You know, we're all suffering for post-traumatic stress because we're constantly watching these videos, we're constantly seeing these images. And so we have to get tired. Uh, or, or are we going to wait to as our kid? Or does our, you know, cousin or our husband or our wives or our daughters? We have to say before it gets to my door, that's why we're here now, because I was feeling like I don't want this to happen to somebody else. So we have to get to that point where, you know, I'm sick and tired. I don't want this to happen to anyone else. And I want them to make a stand. I want to say something so this can stop. So this cycle. So my grandkids and their kids won't have to still live in this oppressive state that's keeping them down. That's just my thoughts. Well, I think that's all of our thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can all concur with that. And as a matter of fact, kind of leads us to where I was going to, what I was going to bring up next is that legislation. A lot of people feel like legislatively, that's the way, you know, but we look at a president that comes on and gives the police more money to go into the communities. I don't get that. I mean, I get it, but I don't get that. Um, but also the same president that wouldn't even sign the George Floyd bill into um, law. Wouldn't even sign it. Came in and said, oh, ah. and, and let me give a disclaimer here because I don't want none of my Asian siblings coming for me after this, okay? I love y'all, okay, I love y'all. But the truth is the truth all day long. That man came through the door and signed an Asian hate bill because of the atrocities that were happening. But what about us? What about legislation to protect us? He didn't want to do that, but he could do the other. And if you could have done the other, you could have done that as well, right? But you did not. You sent it down to Congress. You, and they sent it down to the Senate. And, and it's just sitting. It's just sitting. So when Jay says that it's on us, I don't know if we know this. We don't have to wait for them to write legislation. We don't have to wait for them to write a bill. We could write our own bill. We could get petitions just like what's happening with the good time. You get it on there, get it on the, the ballot, and we sign it, but we got to get signatures. There is a way to do it, but it is going to take us. I, I, I think about transforming. What the scripture said, be transformed by the what? Renewing mm -hmm. of your mind. Mm -hmm. The renewing of your mind. I was just in the hair store today. This lady said, what you say? What you doing now? I said, you mean what, what, what we doing? Because we should all be doing something. Don't clap for me. Join the race. Right? Don't sit on the sideline. And I get it. It's hard. But at the end of the day, what are your other, what, what do you have? Life? Death? I mean, like, what else do we need for us to awaken ourselves? Because they're not coming to save us. Clearly, they're not coming to save us. We have to save ourselves. And what does that look like? Taking initiative. I don't care nothing about 
no Republicrat. Okay? And I call them Republicrats because they all look and sound the same because they do not have and take on legislation that protects our people. We've got to protect ourselves. But what does that look like? Well, Trisha, when you have, we had one president that was signing executive orders all day long for this, for that, for everything. <laughs> Made no excuses for it. Just an executive order, I'm going to put this in. A, so you mean to tell me he couldn't have made an executive order for the George Ford bill? How easy would that have been? Struggle but when we're, when we're talking about, you know, losing face, well, we're talking about the author of the, of the crime bill. So I don't know why we would suspect anything from him anyway, but, you know, I guess um, the saying, doing the same thing over and over again, <laughs> expecting different results is insanity. And we keep doing the same thing over and over again, thinking, okay, this guy is going to come and fix it. And this guy, instead of us saying, hey, we can fix it. We've been asking for four, over 400 years for some stuff. We've been asking. We've been, you know, been good. We've been, you know, <laughs> doing what they said and following the rules and everything. And then when you, you know, get mad about it and want to stand up, they want to put the the water hoses and the dogs and the beating you and all the other crazy stuff that they do. So you're right. We have to get it on the ballots ourselves and vote for it ourselves. But first, like who, uh, attorney Hugo Matt said, we got to go vote. Yes. And, and you know what I want to add to that? We, <laughs> we got to stop pushing stuff under the rug because something will happen then we forget. We forget that they lied. We forget what actually occurred. And then, ladies and gentlemen, I am encouraging you to read. Reading is fundamental. And let, do, do not be shocked that you can flip through, go on TikTok and all these other media sites, and you can quickly get information and just be scrolling, 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 scrolling as it takes up your time. And then you capture or people capture. I know nobody out here that I'm talking to probably doesn't capture a narrative. And then you stick with that narrative because of what somebody told you. Didn't read nothing. Didn't investigate anything. And so right now, our government and all of the corporations that seek to get your money has psychologically, they know that if I can get you to adopt a narrative in seven sex seconds and then repeat it over and over again and get people, people to engage in that dialect and then you just stick with it, even though it's a policy, even though it's a practice that is going to harm you and your families because you didn't read. You didn't read the fine print. You didn't look at what happened actually. You didn't look at what it was actually doing. Even looking at the CARES Act. Yes, it was supposed to give us easy access to health care. 
However, howsoever, when you really go through the CARES Act and you look at mental health, they took opiates and made its own little section. It's not even called a mental health issue in the CARES Act. Why? Because now more monies can be allocated just for opioid addiction. Why? Because all the other addictions are criminalized. We have to wake up. And so when we talk about accountability for the people who serve the community, I'm talking about accountability even in our homes and with our families. And we should be mad enough. We should be mad enough to take our families back. Right now, ask yourself, if you can't go to the grocery store, how are you going to eat? Take your family back. What you going to do? What you going to do? If people are not reading up on how to start their own gardens right now, I don't know what else we're going to do. It's time. It's time for us to make racism so ugly and, and allow them to see the truth. It has to be so ugly that just if they think about talking about it or laughing about it, they need to cringe at the sight of it. So we're going to keep playing it. We're going to keep it before your face until it, but see, it needs to be ugly to us. What happens to us, we cannot allow death and destruction and rape and abuse to be okay in our communities. What are we going to do? Can I say something? Um, I, I just got to speak from my heart. Okay, I mean, and one of the biggest problems that we have and that I confront is other black men. When I had my criminal justice experience, you would think that people that are in a common bondage would be able to come together if for no other reason to protect themselves against an oppressor. Even sheep will gather together when there's a wolf. Even sheep will do that, okay? Well, part of the problem that we've had, that, that, that I've had as a black man, is an understanding how we have been so programmed to abandon our own and glorify things that are not conducive to black families because the the black family to me is the center of it okay i mean and there's a place for a man in a home i was raised by a single parent she could do a lot of things my late mother ivy for me but one thing she couldn't do was teach me how to be a man i had to go to other venues uh, to be with men who didn't look like me to understand manhood but part of the problem is it's not just the brothers that are in the penitentiary uh, that it's the people 
that have the money, the entertainment. You know, there's this guy named Nick Cannon, and he's got a, a like a reality talk show and stuff like that now. This man brags and boasts about having babies by several different women. He brags and boasts about that. That that is a sign of his virility, of his manhood. And, you know, some of you may say, well, he can do that. He can take care of his kids and he can, you know, take care of their needs and what have you. Maybe so. But what about the young men that are looking at that who can't do that? What about the young men looking at that who see him in that role and say, well, it's okay for him. Let me do it, too. Because a lot of my practice is representing poor black women that are raising kids by themselves. All right. And they are catching pure D hell out there because I can only be in one court venue at a time. All right. So I guess for me, when I look at black men and some men that I've encountered who think it's the thing to do to go out, you know, making all these babies and having these different women and saying, man, I got 17 kids. I said, really, really? You know, a male can produce a child. It takes a man to raise a child. Okay. So, and I guess when I look at the entertainment industry, like I said, uh, Snoop Dogg and some of these people that have glorified the, 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 the drug situation, what have you, making millions and millions of dollars. I don't see it trickling down to me, you know, uh, and if it's not trickling down to me. I doubt there's people less fortunate than me that's trickling down to. So I guess my plea is to black men that are listening, you know, step up and respect yourselves and your families. Be there for them. Your sons need you. Don't leave that to that woman to raise that, that child by herself. She didn't make that child by herself. So I guess for me, when I look at Dr. King and people that emphasized we're sticking together, we look out for one another, there's a place for a man or woman in the household. Um, and then I look at the entertainment industry and stuff that really works against us while a few of us are being millionaires or billionaires. Uh, I think uh, Dr. Dre now is a, is a billionaire. Okay, that's nice. That's nice. So um, th that's a real problem that, that I challenge other black men uh, to address. Us being men and not just males. Whew. Man, that... Um... I guess what we're saying, y'all, is that we need you. We need you at the table. We need us all. Because there can't be this reactive outrage over and over again. Because when that wears off, we will take no qualms about entering right back into business as usual. And business as usual is what has gotten us here so i know we're wrapping almost for tonight i it's getting late um and i just want everyone just to uh go around and leave us with because we talked about the problem we talked about what we know is the solution or what we think we need to do to get to the solution right but there's always hope see one thing about us they say we're agitators and we're irritators, but we're also hope dealers. And we believe <laughs> that anything is possible 
when we put our hearts and our minds together for the sake of justice. So if we can all um, just leave us with some parting words um, so that we can encourage others to get involved and get to the table. All right, I'll, I guess I'll start off. Um, I just wanted to say that I was encouraged by Trishay. Trishay, thank you so much um, for this evening being the highlight tonight and allowing us to work through these narratives. Um, but I remember you said the beginning of that or the end of that scripture. The first part was be not conformed to this world, but and she said be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. Right now it's not acceptable is what I'm saying. <laughs> be, when, we, when it says be not conformed, ask yourself, what can I do that's not going to conform and be complacent today? Ask the Lord. Ask your higher power. Lead me. Because when we rally, it's not about religion. It's not. It's about humanity. And the day, and I'm looking forward to it, that we have a person who says, I'm running for humanity. And they've done it. They've lived it. And that's what they do. Then all of these other, other political factors that have not served us, they're coming down. But let's start with us. Be radical. Be radical in your home. Be radical with your families. I, I guess, um, so I have two things. Uh, you know, how can you get involved? What can you do? Uh, it's so much going on and it's so, it can be stressful talking about all this, um, but there is things you can do. Um, go to your local city council meeting, your local city councilors, your charter commissioners, all of the city um, department employees, whoever in the city, see what kind of policies and what kind of practices are in place that are about equity and about fairness and um, making communities feel welcoming to black people, to people of color. Start asking about that. Does anything exist? If it doesn't, it's a problem. Um, especially when you consider how the cities and the suburbs, that division and the history behind that, it needs to be inclusive. Um, start there um, because, you know, if, if racism still exists for us, it's just gonna continue to be bad for everybody. You gotta extract this stuff at the root. Um, you got to extract it at anti-black racism, you extract that, and then you can free us all. Um, second, I want to say, um, just want to say uh, to black men, I see you, I hear you, and I love you. Um, you know, I, I just want to put that out there because I, not that anybody is, but 
I don't want to get too much on black men because of everything they have to be um, all the time. The protector, the one to, you know, society, how society sees it, be the breadwinner while also being the most incarcerated, um, while also seeing black women get degrees at higher rates. Um, that is a lot. So I just wanted to point that out. And um, yeah, and I just wanted to say, uh, I hear you, see you, and love you. Well, I wanted to say this. You know, next week is, I believe, my presentation, my opportunity uh, to be blessed. I wish next week was right now, because I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to tell you what. We need to become weaponized with knowledge, okay? And I'm going to give a little preview right now. Even though David was offered swords, shields, spear, everything else. Those weren't the right weapons for him. He had a tailor-made weapon. We call it a slingshot. So in this fight, it is my hope next week to present us with knowledge, not that we don't have knowledge already, but that you can tailor-make for your own weaponology. Because you listening right now may be the only Bible or Holy Quran anybody ever reads. You hear me? The only one that anybody ever reads. So um, I'm looking forward to next week. And, and I pray the Lord keeps me here and you here because uh, part of the solution is we must become weaponized. Okay? You know, we must become weaponized. And God bless you and I love you. Yes, Mr. Ishmael, big brother. I would just say this, um, uh, the abandonment of responsibility is t by those who are most responsible is tantamount to criminal negligence. I'm not a lawyer, help me if I'm wrong. Those of who are most responsible and those who are most able to respond must do so. And we must check ourselves as it regards any sense of moral turpitude in our value system. Um, and that's at all levels from those who are in the entertainment industry making a lot of money and from those who are getting government assistance um, at all levels, we must check ourselves. Um, number two, there is a type of tree that if you plant it this year, you know, in a couple months, you'll see the sapling of that tree. There are, there's also a type of tree that it's the seed goes is buried in the earth. I think it's a type of pine tree. It's buried in the earth and it won't spring forth. It won't uh, become a it won't become uh, to become a seed or to be able to become to grow until the earth is scorched around it until fire a certain temperature rises and then that seed comes forth. Um, I would that we all, wherever we are with our seeds, if we're in the transformation, reformation, abolition, whatever we are at, um, 
let's plant the seed, let's grow. And for some things, it might take a scorched earth for that dormant seed within to actually grow. And all of it has value. The last thing I'll say is the work we're doing is for future generations. I rejoice in that, Jay, you were able to do something on behalf of your own child in this now. But there is a dispensation that comes after us and the work that we're doing uh, will, will, will be validated sometimes in that day. Um, what do I mean by that? The, uh, the blood that we give to the earth, it may not cry forth for 50 years down the road and we may never know. So my, 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 my plea is that we all do the work that we can, while we can, where we can, how we can, and know that that work counts. That was amazing. Man, um, I thank you all. I love you all. Um, I think about the song that says, I need you. You need me. We are a part of God's body. Stand with me. Agree with me. We are a part of God's body. It is his will that every need be supplied. You are important to me. I need you to survive. We all need each other. We can't do this alone. Like Ellie said, go to your city council meetings. Do whatever it is. Put your hand to the plow. I don't care if you're baking cookies for the folks on the front line. You're still doing something. We are a body that is jointly fit. Everybody has their place. You want to know if you're an activist? Go look in the mirror. Are you breathing? Yes. <laughs> you are an activist. <laughs> now use your gifts and use your talents as God has. I'll, I'll sing a song. I'll bust out in prayer. I'll go to the front lines and march. I'll do a form. Whatever it is my hands find to do, that's what I'm going to do as unto God for the result and the goal for us all. Let's remove those egos and let's get busy in this kingdom. Not the kingdom in the sky that everybody is looking for. I'm talking about the kingdom in this earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's get busy. Let's get busy. Jay, come on and take us home. I just want to say it's our duty to fight for our freedoms. It is our duty to win. We must love, respect each other. We have nothing to lose but our chains. So I want to thank you guys. This has been an awesome conversation. Uh, for those who are watching on YouTube, uh, Twitter, or might watch this later on, um, it, we have a lot that we must do. But at first, before we can reform or transform, we have to first reform and transform ourselves. It starts with us. And so I want to also say, if you guys want to contact us that's not on Facebook, you can contact us with turning a moment into a movement at gmail.com. Uh, if you have something you uh, want us to look at, talk about, just go to that. Um, as Attorney Hugo Matt said, yes, he will be here next week. It's the criminal justice legal system guilty. 
So we, um, Attorney Hugo Matt will be presenting next week. So I'm looking forward to that. And also, if you need to learn more about Gerard's story and his wrongful conviction, go to change.org slash justice for Gerard. Please sign and share. We're still advocating for Gerard. So thank you guys. Thank you, Trisha. It was awesome. We love you. Thank you, Darnell. Um, I'm always happy when you come. Um, I know that um, you, you're going to be soon be Dr. Darnell Ishmael soon. <laughs> and also Dr. Tia is going to be Dr. Tia soon. So I'm, <laughs> we're going to have some doctors on the staff. So thank you guys so much. And we'll see you next week for turning a moment into a movement.